everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast podcast. I am your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed therapist, and I specialize in the treatment of OCD, anxiety spectrum disorders. Um, so this is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, its treatment, and trying to get your life back from all of its nonsense and how it's trying to just uh, uh, take over and, and, and destroy things you love and all the terribleness. So uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, how was your Thanksgiving if you celebrated one? Um, I'm sure it was lovely and family-filled and warm and, and, and cozy, all those things, um, unless you got into you know, huge political discussions and arguments or um, you just don't celebrate Thanksgiving. So those might be reasons why you don't do such things. I'll tell you how mine went. So the whole plan was to go up uh, to gather with uh, my parents and my brother's family and and my family and all go to uh, my grandma's cabin up in the mountains. It was going to be delightful. Um, so it turns out uh, my wife and my little uh, my little daughter got sick. So they decided to not go to disease uh, the entire family. So they stayed home and found out my sister-in-law also was sick. So she stayed home. So that's all right. We were still going to go. So I went... Uh, um, I trudged up a mountain, two-lane highway, uh, in 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 the most snow I've seen in many moons. And not only that, I I had drove in my car for the first time with chains, so that was terrifying. And uh, and I'm sure all of you who live in states and places that that are covered in snow at all times are just calling me a pansy, and that's fine. I am. It's true. So. I go up the mountain and it's covered in snow and we get probably a foot in, in an evening. So I get up there and, you know, we're, we're cooking Thanksgiving dinner and all that stuff. And, and uh, halfway through cooking the turkey, which, you know, takes a couple of hours, power outage. So no, no oven. So quickly we had to scramble and try to figure out, well, how are we going to cook this darn thing? So we go outside and there's a, 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 an old uh, Weber barbecue. So it's, it's my parents from their wedding. It was a wedding gift for them all those years ago. So we quickly find just enough briquettes, put that, uh, put the turkey out there, try to get it going. So still no power. So we also have two kids under 10 running around like crazy, no heat. So we have a fire going just, 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 just enough wood to keep us all alive uh, in the fireplace to not freeze to death. So all of us, so there's uh, many people sleeping all in one room, all in the living room where the fire is, hoping to not die. But we were able to cook some some food, did the thing. We were all very thankful for uh, ingenuity. We were thankful for batteries and, and flashlights. Um, and, and I've never been more thankful for electricity in my life. Um, not that I need to have electricity at all times, but you know what? It's really nice. So um, it's the simple things, right? When we can just gather around and say, thanks for this technological wonder that we call electricity. So if you haven't thanked your local electricity company or looked at a light socket and just said, thanks, bro, go for it. You should do it. It's a, it's a wise thing to do. So it's one of those things where you don't realize you miss it until it's gone. Electricity is one of them. So, on to the show. So, 
I had this, uh, so I got a question uh, a couple weeks ago uh, that said, hey, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the direct question in front of me. It said, hey, I experienced a lot of shame uh, with my anxiety. Um, could you talk about it? Um, I thought to myself, you know what? Yeah, I can do that. I can talk a lot about that. So I posted on the Instagrams, uh, and by the way, you can follow me on the Instagrams. It's uh, Fearcast Podcast. Uh, that's my handle out there. Um, and yes, I know it's not called the Instagrams um, for all of you people thinking I'm old. Step one, I am. And step two, I also know it's, it's called the Gram. So that's just to piss off some of you folks out there. All right. So I posted a question out there and said simply, how do you experience shame and guilt? when it comes to your uh, anxiety. And I got a lot of responses. Um, I, I, I certainly know that with uh, OCD and anxiety, uh, uh, almost all of my clients experience a certain level of shame and guilt and just these really weighty, heavy feelings uh, in regards to how their anxiety and how their symptoms and how their compulsions have impacted their life have impacted the life of their loved ones. And, and, and there's a lot of um, consternation that goes on about it. Um, and there's a lot of isolation and there's a lot of avoidance that goes on about it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that today. And, and um, I'll, I'll give you a little insight into this is that I sat down and thought, okay, well, I'm going to do this episode on shame and guilt. Now, um, I've, I've read a little bit about it. I've certainly experienced it. Um, and I've, I've worked with a number of clients who've had it. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I'll be able to put up a pretty good episode and try to get a lot of stuff in here. So, you know, I went, I went back to, um, Bernie Brown's, uh, uh, books and, um, Trying to find which one I have. It's around here somewhere. Well, I went back to Daring Greatly, which is a fantastic book. And, and a lot of what I'm talking about is going to be coming from that and is rooted uh, in, in that. Uh, so first off, uh, if, if there's something within this episode that, that kind of uh, uh, resonates with you, that you feel you, you've experienced a lot of shame and guilt uh, with your uh, anxiety or OCD or just for other stuff in life, I'm going to highly recommend Anything by by her, by Brene Brown. Um, Daring Greatly, I think, is a fantastic book, um, and it just goes over shame and guilt from top to bottom. Now, here's the thing. So, I was putting together this episode and just realized, I ain't her. I'm never going to be able to put together something as thorough as her. So, this is going to be a very truncated, very simplistic view of it, uh, and a very simplistic way to approach it. So, um, if you're listening to it saying, hey, you missed something, or it's just, you know, you, uh, w whatever. Um, I did. I did. But I, what I do want to do is just Acknowledge that that uh, acknowledge the feelings that a lot of us are experiencing with uh, the symptoms that we have, with the stuff that's going on in our life, um, and to acknowledge that, and to also actually encourage that it's not the end of the world and you're not hopeless in this process. That there is a way out. Treatment is a great option, and uh, I know some of you are going to listen and say, "Well, treatment's not an option for me for a, a gaggle of reasons," but um, there there is still help out there. Um, and if step if Avenue one or if Avenue A didn't work, try Avenue B. And if Avenue B didn't work, then we go to C. We go all the way down to Z. And you know what? If Z didn't work, sometimes that's when we say we're hopeless. But you know what? Sometimes we go back to A. And A was the thing that was going to help. And it's not because you missed it or you screwed up or, or whatever. It's that sometimes A was not what we needed at that time. It's what we need now. 
So, so I want to get on to this. So I put up a question on, again, the Instagrams um, about how people have experienced it. And when I post questions, sometimes I get responses, sometimes I don't, and that's fine. Um, but I got a lot of responses, and I got a lot of more responses than I had anticipated. So I just wanted to read a couple of them, um, and they're certainly not going to encompass everybody's experience, but um, I just wanted to share some of them, uh, and I've asked permission to share some of them. So, um, so one person messaged me and said, my ROCD makes me feel tons of guilt. It's difficult to have a healthy sex life because I'm constantly questioning if I really love my boyfriend, who I've been with for five years, and checking my feelings while just trying to stay connected. I always have co-occurring depression. That, combined with my OCD and overwhelming fear of ending up in some crazy, horrific accident, leads me to get tired way faster than the average person. My boyfriend wants to go non-stop on vacations and days out, but I just can't do it. I feel like I'm holding him back. So another person responded and they said, I find myself obsessing about the guilt I feel of how much time my OCD has taken in my life. Often when I pull myself out of the OCD cycle and have a moment of better clarity as to the worthlessness of my obsessions and compulsions, this quickly turns into guilt and then a new cycle of obsessive compulsive behavior to mitigate those feelings of guilt. So I just wanted to share those two responses because I feel like they do really encapsulate a, 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 a a great many experiences within this process is that there's 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 so much reflection back upon the symptoms that are going on and and what they mean for us and what they mean for our future because again as, as we've been talking about in the past if you've listened to this show for at, at any time is that remember anxiety takes us out of this moment it takes us into way into the past about things that we did things that we said whatever. And, the, and it also takes us way the heck into the future about what's going to happen, how my life will turn out, how my friends and family and loved ones life will turn out. And again, we, we connect all those to who we are, what we're doing and why we're doing it. Now, again, and we'll talk about this just in a little bit, there can be an adaptive quality to that and a very helpful quality to that. Um, but it can also be incredibly disastrous to us. Uh, and, it, and it all depends on how we respond to it. So like I've talked about with everything else, everything that we do and talk about and think and experience is going to be neutral, including shame and guilt. It can just be simply an awareness that, yes, I'm feeling this crappy, awful, uncomfortable feeling. It's not necessarily the end of the world. And again, we can be hopeful in this is that there is a way out of it, but we will need to put in a little bit of work into awareness and man doing something that also feels uncomfortable because there's this uh, I'll, I'll speak from um, personal experience on this is that sometimes there's this like sad warm blanket that shame and guilt have for us it's kind of like home for us where we just go yeah i'm i'm garbage and i'm dumb and terrible and and everything i do is worthless and we just kind of sit in that feeling and we don't really want to get out of it because it it feels good in a bad way, of course, our rational brain is going to say, oh, it feels terrible, Kevin. Why are you even talking about it like that? Well, if it felt 100% awful and terrible, I mean, we, we would try to get out of it. And yes, there's a lot of stuff involved with that. But there's something that some lies that our brain says about what what this is going to do for us or the truthfulness of it. And we kind of stay there. So 
let's keep going with all this stuff. So, so, uh, so as I was reading those uh, uh, the responses, and by the way, thank you to everybody who responded. Um, and I'll just say right here, um, I, I would love for all of you listeners out there, if you experience some shame and guilt in your anxiety and OCD and, and, and recovery, um, I'd love for you to message me. Um, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can uh, message me there. It's under the Ask a Question link. Uh, you can also just email me. And if you have uh, comments that you would like to uh, share, and again, we can do this 100% anonymously if you want to, email me. Email me at questions at fearcastpodcast.com. So that's questions at fearcastpodcast.com. So shoot me a message there and just let me know how you're experiencing fe- uh, uh, shame and guilt. And and if it's okay, I, I want to keep this conversation going and potentially share them on a future episode. Maybe I'll do a follow-up to this one. So as I was reading through those responses, there was just some general themes that had kind of jumped out. So one is that um, there's a lot of guilt about how symptoms have impacted others. So how it's impacted loved ones, how it's impacted, and I'll say, you know, stuff outside of ourselves. So it's how it's impacted your work friends or it's your, your, your family or things like that. There's a lot of guilt about how their symptoms have harmed themselves. And that can be by limiting, by uh, forcing us or quote, quote, forcing us to avoid things or to limit ourselves in some sort of way because we're, we're wrong or bad, quote, wrong or bad. There's also a lot of shame that, that we are just inherently broken and that we're no good and we don't deserve others. Perhaps this would be a good time to talk about the definitions of shame and guilt. So I, I really like just these two. These are just the most basic way to view what shame and guilt are. So guilt is the bad feeling I get when I've done something bad. That's contrasted with shame, where it's the bad feeling I get because I am something bad. So notice the difference between those two. So guilt is I've done something bad. I messed up. I screwed up here and there. So I I acknowledge that I screwed up. So I feel bad. That's guilt. I, I sit with that feeling. Shame is it doesn't matter what I do. I just am, am intrinsically bad. I'm intrinsically broken. Now, within a lot of the responses that I got, I also noticed there's uh, there's compulsive behaviors. Obviously, there's going to be compulsive behaviors within this, but um, compulsive behaviors to try to undo the guilt and and uh, uh, subsequently to undo shame. Ultimately, trying to get us back to this place where we feel like we're okay, we feel restored in some fashion, and th- and that we're ultimately that 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 we can find reassurance with ourselves that we're still kind of kind of good people and whole and okay and all right in, in this world and with other people. Some of the ways that people described these compulsions are trying to neutralize the anxiety with uh, reassurances from others. So kind of asking their partner if what they did was okay um, and if, if they're still okay with you. Another was mentally reviewing a situation or act in the past to give self-reassurance that what we did wasn't too weird or that we're not in the wrong so maybe we'll think about like, oh, did I hurt someone's feelings? I wonder what I said. Um, maybe I said something that was embarrassing to me. Maybe I said something that embarrassed my friend. So we can do a lot of those um, kind of kind of time traveling compulsions where we go back in the past. And this is all kind of that that pure O mental compulsion stuff where we go back in the past and we ruminate about what I say, what I do. Did I do something? Is this person hurt? Did I screw something up here? So reviewing all of that. 
Another is looking into whether or not we were in the wrong. So maybe comparing our, our intentions with the act, right? Did I, did I have wrong intentions? Did I screw up? And that can very much lead into shame uh, because acts are one thing, right? But intentions are a whole separate thing. Um, ultimately, we can break those down and and and. And OCD will love to jump on uh, uh, to this uh, to, to those sort of thoughts. All right, so I'm getting ahead of myself. So lastly, um, another was is um, kind of confessing actions to somebody else. So kind of looking for atonement, looking for someone to say you're all right. All right. So before I get into shame, I want to talk a little bit about guilt. So again, guilt is going to be that bad feeling that we get when we've done something wrong. Now. There's, there's an appropriate guilt and an inappropriate level of guilt. And this is really highlighted in one person's comment. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this person's uh, 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 message to me. Um, so throughout it, she was kind of discussing uh, her, her mental compulsions of how she was uh, you know, reviewing what she'd done in the past and the potential that she had done or said something in the past that could have hurt someone's feelings, offended someone, or kind of messed, up, uh, messed something up in the past. And then she said this, she said, and the worst part is that a certain degree of it should be there. So what do I do with that? And a, a lot of folks out there are just going to say, you know, we shouldn't feel bad for what we do, just own up to everything, which is kind of what we're doing in this. But own up to everything does not mean don't feel bad. Because I, I actually agree with this listener or this writer here that's, uh, where, where, where they say, you know, to a certain degree, it should be there. Now, I, I, I will agree. To a certain degree, with our with our with our guilt, we should feel bad. Because what guilt does is that it helps us to acknowledge the things that you and I did wrong, and that the bad feeling drives us to making amends or making behavioral changes so we don't do that thing again in the future. Because I mean, if you think about it, if you and I do something offensive or we do something, you know, quote, bad and, and, and bad, by the way, is ultimately just anything that really goes against your value system. So it could be something that the average person would think is fine, but within our genuine, truthfully honest value system, we find this thing uh, offensive. We, we don't want to do this thing. Now, of course, that is is a whole uh, a, a whole different ball of wax in terms of when when we start talking about uh, judging our intentions or when you know kind of uh, moral or religious scrupulosity jump in and and try to take you know each and every little fine thing that we do and make it the, the biggest uh, the biggest issue. So we're not necessarily talking about that. We are talking a little bit more broadly here. But for those of you who who know what I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about. All right. Guilt can be helpful for us. And I, I, at its core, I think it's actually helpful for us. And here's why. It leads to action. It leads to change. And this is what would the appropriate guilt would be. So if you're feeling this feeling and it leads to action, then it's helpful. So this feeling is ultimately, that bad feeling is coming from our conscience that's, that shows us that, that, we're, that our actions don't line up with our values. And it should spark some sense of acknowledgement to ourself or to somebody else that we did something wrong or bad compared to our value system and what character you and I would like to foster. Now, some of this response can be can certainly be a, a, <clears throat> can be a, a, an apology when appropriate. 
And it should come with a sense of behavioral change and intention not to repeat that act in the future. Uh, Though, again, sometimes you and I are going to mess up despite our intentions to not do these things in the future. Man, we're human. We're going to screw up because we're really good at that. So we are going to do this in the future, but there's this intention and desire and an earnest desire to, to do better in the future. Again, there can be an overwhelming sense of this. And this is, a, this is also where the inappropriate guilt comes in. And this is where it comes into uh, one of the big signs of, of inappropriate guilt is rumination and getting stuck. And this is where our guilt can very quickly turn into shame. So with this inappropriate guilt, we don't do anything with it. We stay in the feeling that we did something wrong, we screwed up, and we often become paralyzed. Oftentimes with this, we have this negative self-talk and just this self-punishment. We beat ourselves up about it. And for some of us who get caught in this cycle, and and when I say some of us in this, I genuinely do mean myself in this too. Um, I, I'm someone who who gets caught in guilt thoughts from time to time and in shame thoughts. This is just kind of what my dumb brain has decided it's a good idea for me to do. Um, it doesn't mean that I try to get stuck in that or I, try, I don't try to fight against it. It's that, um, you know, we're all works in progress, right? We're all trying to get better in some sort of way. So one of the things Brene Brown talks about is that in comparison to from guilt to shame, guilt actually leads to better outcomes for someone. Guilt language uh, helps someone along better than shame language because guilt language, again, leads to action, right? It's really tough. If I'm just intrinsically broken, well, that's kind of what I am, Right. I can't really get out of that. But if I've recognized that I've done something bad, rather like if I am something bad, it's tough to change that. But if I have done something bad, well, I can make I can make changes to that. I can do something different to that, right? All right, but as we can see, this rumination and and guilt, if we don't do anything with it, if it just sits with us and it doesn't lead to to any action, yes, it very much leads to shame. So, uh, Brene Brown says, uh, uh, is quoted with this, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So, notice within that definition is that she already starts out with this idea, it's that feeling that we have when we're flawed. So, she says flawed, I'll say broken, kind of the same thing. But then she goes on to say that then, that therefore, we're un, we, we believe that we are unworthy of love or belonging. So, she makes shame, and she or she appropriately acknowledges that shame is a fear of disconnection. There's a relational quality to shame. She believes that all of us are wired for love and connection, and that shame is something that makes us feel like we are unworthy of connection. She also goes on to to say, and I I like this, uh, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes that we can change and do better. So I kept hearing people talk about, and I keep hearing people talk about when we when we get into shame. It's I, I hear hopelessness very quickly after that. It's. It's useless. I'm never going to get better. Treatment doesn't work for me. I'm never going to, I can't, I can't improve. They might use different language, but it's this idea that it, it, it corrodes the very part of us that believes that we can change or do better. And so, as I was kind of reviewing some of the stuff that she was writing, it got me thinking. So, she really puts it into this, this genuine relationship between me and another person. But I also wonder if the shame that disconnects us from somebody else and gives us a sense that we aren't good enough for others can also be connected to this idea that we aren't good enough for ourselves. 
And I certainly see this with ROCD and, 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 and scrupulosity, and certainly also with others. One of the things I see is that there, there is a fear that the disorders make us not good enough for our partner. So certainly, so certainly it is relational, and, 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 and we don't feel like we are good enough for somebody else. And, and that's certainly reflected in the disorders of ROCD, scrupulosity, and a number, a number of other ones, too. But there can be this, you know, the, the, the fear that the disorders don't make us good enough for somebody else, for our partner, or for God, or for, you know, uh, uh, others around us, our families. Um, so one of the things we do is we desperately fight to make sure that we are good enough. And that's where reassurances of, uh, or compulsions of reassurance come in, avoiding relationships come in. So, and, and, and also that checking to make sure that we feel okay about someone so that we can justify being in a relationship or, or making sure that we feel connected in some sort of way and using that as verification, validation, that this relationship can continue. But I also think that there's this sense that, that shame comes in that we aren't good enough for ourselves to even be ourselves. And then it kind of leads us to beating ourselves up um, because we aren't good enough to be who we are and just being our being our true and honest self. Sometimes we fall into this distortion that we believe that OCD and anxiety represents who we truly are, where we're truly going, what we want. And it's kind of this idea of if, if that's who I am, man, I don't even want to be me. I don't know if you've ever felt that. So what are some things that we can do about this? So, so especially with guilt, she talks about taking ownership of the behavior that didn't align with our values, and that feeling is, in that action is driven by the guilt, right? Or that, or that, that bad feeling is driven by the guilt. So it's when we take ownership and say, "Yep, I did this thing," and oh, that's so hard to do because it feels uncomfortable, and it acknowledges that we did something bad. You and I all are going to spend a ton of our life trying to fight against this idea that we're that we're quote we're the bad guy or that we screwed up we we have this innate need for ourselves to feel like we're in the right or that we are good it's it's, it's who we are so the suggestion that we did something bad or that we or that we we are in the wrong or that we're, quote we're the bad guy in the situation ugh i can't stand it you can't stand it nobody wants it so we fight against that but it takes it, we we need to take on that that feeling and that struggle and jump over that hurdle to acknowledge the things that we are doing or the things that we have done that might have hurt someone's feelings and that's one way to help get out of this and all throughout Brene Brown's book she talks about this idea of resilience so she says the answer to shame is resilience so resilience is ultimately con, uh, contrasted in her uh, in her literature w- with vulnerability so, so vulnerability is being open to attack. Okay, that's all it means. So it means we're not, it means we're not closed off. We're not defensive. And furthermore, open to attack does not mean that we're weak. Weakness is being unable to withstand the attack. But we can be vulnerable and resilient because resilience is our ability is our because resilience is our ability to withstand an attack. And this is an attack from OCD and anxiety. This is an attack from some some outside force. So with resilience, we're able to survive an attack from ourselves when we shame ourselves, and we can survive the attack from anxiety when it says we aren't good enough, when that dumb voice in the back of our head says we're not good enough, right? So resilience, by the way, is a practice. 
We're not immediately going to be good at being resilient to that voice in our head or being resilient, uh, meaning that we can kind of bounce back from and not crumble when that voice says we're awful or that we screwed up. Remember that thing that you said that one time at that one holiday party? Ugh, you said it because you're just garbage or you're just a bad person. Now that can just suck us down into this hole where we just feel like we're terrible. But that feeling, ultimately, we, we we can work to be resilient to it. And just like all the other exposures we've talked about, acknowledging that there is that voice, but that voice isn't who we are, what we are, what we're about. And that's takes a little bit of practice. But letting that voice be there, resisting, progressively resisting the urge. It's not going to be like this light switch on or off, but progressively allowing that that dumb voice to kind of pass through and not let that feeling of anxiety, that feeling of guilt, that grinding feeling in our stomach or our chest take us over. Now, you've heard me say it before, feelings are stupid, right? So, which obviously is not discount all feelings. Feelings are important in the sense that they help us understand things. They're, they, they, they give us information, but they're not everything, right? But, I mean, we can kind of roll our eyes and go, man, that, that, that constant feeling of guilt and shame, a stupid feeling, right? So, we, we, we can fight against that and we can work against that. And it's this process and we build resiliency. We just don't get it. We build it. So in some of that, though, is recognizing that we can take ownership, we can sit with it, we can acknowledge it, and we don't need to run from it, and we don't need to do all these inappropriate compulsions to try to overcome it. It's a feeling. We can survive it. So the biggest question, again, what in the heck can we do with all of this? Now, again, this I know this episode is... Um, it's not going to be an omnibus suggestion. There's so much more, and I would encourage you to chat with your therapist about this. Seek out some materials about this if you have more questions. And also, if you want to share your story or have any follow-up questions, message me. So, I wanted to offer just a couple of suggestions on what we can do with this. So, the first thing we could do is to practice courage and reach out to somebody else. Now, this is building that connection with someone else. And it's to share your experiences, to share your thoughts and feelings with somebody else. Now, of course, this can be compulsive and, and can be reassurance seeking. And if you're doing that, and if you're aware of it, you know you are. Um, re- resist that. But more importantly, resist the urge to avoid others. Resist the urge to limit ourselves or to deny ourselves something because of our perceived flaw. So this is not only practicing courage and reaching out to others, but it's practicing courage and reaching out to ourselves and rebuilding that connection with ourselves to say, you know what, despite this voice, despite that thing that I did, despite that thing that I said, I'm still, I'm still good enough. And when we genuinely, and within this, we can genuinely acknowledge what's going on with us. Which brings me to the next point. Uh, uh, and, and within that process of, of self and other reconciliation, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk to myself the way I would talk to someone else I really love and whom I'm trying to comfort in the midst of a meltdown. So I'm not going to tell this person that they're garbage. I'm not going to tell myself that I'm the worst. What am I going to do? I'm going to say optimistic things, right? What would we tell someone else who's going through a meltdown and a struggle? We'd say, you got this. 
can say it's not the end of the world. We can say you're not at the end of your rope. You can say there's hope. We need to tell ourselves that. And you might be saying, but it's a lie. But then why are you saying it to somebody else? There's something, there's some reason that you're saying it to somebody else. And, and we can also within this have compassion for ourselves. So when you're in the middle of this, think about when you're talking to yourself about this process and when you have this negative self-talk, challenge that. And instead of continuing to lean into that negative self-talk, think about, all right, if I was in my support group or if a friend came up to me and, t and told me all the stuff that, I, that I'm telling myself, what would I tell them? How would I respond? Would I respond with empathy and care and kindness and warmth? Or would I try to say, hey, hey, bro, suck it up, or uh, uh, you're being a quitter, or you, you, yeah, you, you are the worst? Would we say that stuff? Of course not. So practice talking to yourself the way that you would talk to somebody else. Another point is owning the story so we don't get stuck in the feared ending that the anxiety is proposing to you. But instead, we can consider how we can get out of it. And we, you and I, get to narrate the ending. So remember, this is taking agency, okay? And this comes with, uh, and so this is where ERP comes in. And it's taking action against our anxiety. So it's doing something different. So if, we, if our brain is saying, well, you're just garbage and nothing is ever going to work out for you. Well, if we take that and say, you're right, brain, might as well not try, right? The classic words of uh, Homer Simpson, can't win, don't try. Super optimistic, right? But instead, if we say, well, I don't like the ending, I'm, I am going to try. I'm going to push. If we try, because at the very least, if we try, we'll get closer to that goal than we would have otherwise. Now, I've given this example before, but in, in the world of archery, um, again, with uh, I, what we're aiming for in shooting almost a football field away, what we're aiming for isn't um, the, the yellow circle, which is probably a foot wide, we're not aiming for the 10 ring, which is about six inches wide. We're not aiming for the, the, the little circle inside of it, which is about four inches wide. We're not aiming for the little X that's in the middle of that little circle. Instead, we're aiming for one leg of that little X. Now, at nine, at, uh, excuse me, at almost a football field away, you can't see that X. You, can, you can't even see the circle designations or the circle delineations. But it's our head game. We're saying, I'm going to shoot for this and I'm going to get as close to it as possible because you know what? The, if you try to aim at that, we're going to get closer to it than we would have otherwise. If we just said, I'm just going to try to hit this general target, hone in on what it is that you want and make steps towards it. We, we, we are probably not going to hit the target exactly the way that we think, and that's okay. But we're going to get pretty stinking close if we try, and that's taking ownership of the story. So, the next thing we can do is to reach out, again, to yourself and to others. And this is, this is where I'll say forgiveness is important. So, forgiveness, the definition for forgiveness that I really like is, is no longer seeking punishment towards myself or for somebody else for harm's done. So what that means is forgiveness isn't necessarily this sense that we just take ourselves off the hook or take somebody else off the hook and now everything is better. And that we feel more connected. We don't feel angry with this person. Because we might still feel angry at somebody else or ourselves, But instead, we, we, we resist seeking punishment towards this person. The first step of that is to recognize how we're beating ourselves up. How we're limiting ourselves because we don't feel like we're good enough. How we're saying, 
you know what, I'm just not going to date until I get all this ROCD uh, out of the way or until I defeat my OCD. You know what, I'm not going to apply for a new job until I really figure this out. I'm not going to take this risk until I kind of figure myself out and kind of get myself back on track. Well, we're, we're, limiting, we're limiting ourselves. Or when we just constantly beat ourselves up, that's a punishment. The first thing is to recognize how we're trying to punish ourselves for these perceived flaws or these perceived, quote, screw-ups. And then the forgiveness is to say, you know what, I'm going to pull back on that. And I'm going to let myself enjoy this and try this. And I'm not going to beat myself up anymore, but instead I'm going to take myself, instead I'm going to offer myself kind words. Now, it doesn't mean that we aren't still upset about things or frustrated with the past, as we might be. But forgiveness is then no longer seeking punishment and letting ourselves continue to live or letting somebody else in, this, in, in that circumstance so this is also going to be a weird step on what we can do, but it's to practice gratitude with what you have done in your efforts to fight your anxiety or to fight the struggles in your life. Now, again, this is a practice. Oh, this is a practice. Um, but it's practice that as we work at it, we get better at it. And what this is, is practicing gratitude. It's practicing appreciation for and acknowledgement for good things. It's acknowledging that that uh, what we are doing well and where things are kind of working out for us. Now, it doesn't mean that we're super good at it, but research actually shows that those who are grateful for other people and, and for themselves actually improve in their mood. So, meaning that, and by the way, for those who are most depressed and most in the hole, for those, who, for those people, when they practiced the, uh, a, a gratitude, they improved the most. Even though, man, when we're in the hole, it's really freaking hard to acknowledge the good stuff in our life. Because what do we want to do? We want to just acknowledge all the terrible stuff and say, hey, we're never going to get better. And it's really hard. It doesn't feel fulfilling to say things are, are kind of okay or here's where things are working out. Um, but, it, but it's important even to acknowledge the little things in our life. So there are some great videos out there, and I'll actually link one uh, at the end of this uh, or in, in the show notes of this. So go to fearcastpodcast.com, and this is episode 35. Um, so and I'll have a link there to a video that uh, might be really helpful. So practicing gratitude, a, 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 um, an exercise I give some of my clients is to write down five things that they're grateful for, or five good things that happened throughout the day, every day. And they go, that's really freaking hard. And we, it starts really hard because we, we can't think of a big thing, but we can think about, it's just, it can even go down to little things. Like, you know what? I tied my shoes and they stayed tied. Rad. So check, I'm grateful for the ability to tie my shoes and the fact that I can. I'm grateful for oxygen. I'm grateful for just little, and it can be little things. And it can sometimes feel silly, but we get better at acknowledging things that are, for things that we are grateful for. Okay, so lastly, and I'm just going to end with this, and I know there's a gazillion other things I can say, but this episode is long enough. Lastly, we need to believe that we are worthy of love and connection. And this one is hard for some of us but we need to believe we need to fake it sometimes just to acknowledge that we are people who are worthy of connection with other people we are worthy uh, we are worthy of appreciation and relationship and kindness because we are human 
And an exercise that we can do for this, because this is sometimes hard, but it's to, is to acknowledge even the smallest things about ourselves that we like. And it can be our intentions. We want to be a good person. It can be that we care about cats and dogs. Okay? It can be, it can be almost anything. But there's something about us that we need to say, this is a redeemable quality of who I am and what I'm about so, this can be something that you should work on with your therapist if you have trouble with this, and that's okay. Um, sometimes in, in our, our despair, it's hard to come up with these things. So, as a quick exercise you can do for this that may be helpful is to sit down and write a little bit about what you, what you want about yourself in life, the type of person that you ultimately would like to be. A very weird and morbid way to do this exercise is actually to think about what you would want your friends and family to say about you at your funeral. Again, this is I know this is really dark, but what would a Fearcast podcast and a Kevin Foss joint have, you know, what would it be without a little bit of um, dark humor or some morbid stuff? Anyways, but we can think about what, what would we want them to say? Would we want them to say that they were good people, that they were honest, that they tried, that they were really good at at, at X, Y, and Z, that even when things were hard, they persevered. And even if you and I only put down one thing on that, that is enough. Because it is that, at the very least, that one thing that makes us worthy of love and connection. And there are a gazillion other things. Um, another way to think about this is, uh, let's say your, your mom or your dad, presuming they like you, um, what would they say? What do they say about you? So that would be something to think about. And that's another exercise that you can do. So, all right, I know I've, all right, everybody, I know that's a lot. I know I've talked about a lot of things. So I'm going to end the episode here. Um, if you would like to add something to this, something that you have found helpful in your journey, if you would like to add something that was helpful in your combating of shame and guilt, I want to hear about it because I know what I put down is some stuff, but it's certainly not everything. And some of this stuff won't work for others and other things will absolutely work for other people. So thank you very much and have a good day. All right, everybody, you made it through this episode of the Fearcast. This was the shame and guilt episode. Super duper fun. So again, if you have stuff that you want to add to this, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Shoot me a message there. If you have a question for a future episode or want me to talk about something in a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and uh, uh, message me that there. So um, you can also, again, you can message some of those questions to me directly um, at questions at fearcastpodcast.com. Um, and, uh, and again, I will read them and I will likely put up an episode about that. So this may or may not be the last episode of the calendar year. I may or may not put one out, but again, I put, try to put one out every two weeks. So in two weeks would be the day before Christmas Eve. So we will see if I get around to it, but I might. So, uh, but if not, I will be back in the new year. So we will see, right? So anyways, thank you all for listening. Again, as I mentioned in the uh, previous episode, I am incredibly thankful for all of you listeners and for all of you who have stuck it out with me and have shared this podcast with other people who have written reviews and who have given me a star or a like or whatever it is on whatever platform. So uh, you are all what make this uh, uh, podcast possible. And I don't say that in a cheesy way, though I know it sounds super cheesy. But anyways, all right, everybody. Um, remember that the Fearcast podcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need any help in your recovery, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can click on the find help link there and there will be some uh, resources that will be helpful 
there. So until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.